Shizzo off. Um, That's a song I had never heard of his. Um, and I lost the title already. That doesn't matter. Pretty good little uh, little ditty there. And uh, let's see. So I want to start tonight's shoe off with uh, some things that are going on with the socialized media, media, social media update. Um, and in the, the background, you may hear uh, voices. Those are not the voices in my head. I'm in the midst of watching Fighting With My Family, the... Um, uh, movie slash documentary that The Rock made about the Knight family and Soraya Knight's uh, rise in WWE. Soraya Knight, also known as Paige, uh, the now retired wrestler because of neck injuries and uh, at the time of her forced retirement, probably my favorite wrestler. Uh, not just for her looks, but also for her uh, in-ring ability. I think she had uh, one of the most believable headbutts uh, I've seen in a long time. And she threw her whole body and neck into it. Uh, and her neck injury was not from headbutting people, however. Uh, tonight on the uh, big, big show, I will be joined in segmental number two by my buddy Doc from the break wall uh, at the Facebook. Facebook is uh, break wall two. At, or, pardon me. Yeah, the break wall two on Facebook and at Breakwall2 on Twitter, and he, if I screwed that up, he can fix it when he comes on. Um, something that's been on every wrestling fan's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feed uh, is something quite a bit saddening, uh, or... Let's pray, hope and pray it, uh, it, ta- it takes a turn for the better. But um, apparently, 
former WWE tag team member Shad Gaspar Gaspard. Uh, he was a member of the tag team Crime Time, who were very popular with fans uh, in the mid what 2010s. I I would reckon to say. Time's flying so fast it's hard to say, but uh, if you YouTube WWE Crime Time, you'll see a lot of uh, very funny, very entertaining bits with uh, Shad and I forget his partner's name, but uh, they they were quite the athletes, Um, so... I don't want to say sadly, because we don't know the outcome yet, but uh, Shad and his young son went for a swim off the California coast this morning and seemed to have disappeared. Uh, They have disappeared. That's the official story. The lifeguards, there had been an all-out, all-lifeguard search all day today, uh, and it was called off uh, a couple hours ago. Now, I don't know. You know. I'm three hours ahead of Los Angeles, so if they called off the search around 7 p.m. my time... Uh, I don't know what time the sun sets in California. I know where I am in Ohio, it's been setting around 7 and 8 o'clock. So, it it could have been they called off the search for the day, or they called off the search entirely. I do not know. Um, But, you know, we want to keep our, our thoughts and prayers as we always do. With uh, Shad Gaspard, his son, and his his family, um, on Shad's official Twitter, uh, it said Brooklyn Beast, current actor or current writer slash actor, former WWE superstar, boxer, Muay Thai fighter, bodyguard, still. A six foot five inch badass. So, uh, you know, again, you know, if you're out there, you know, pray for uh, Shad Gaspard and his son and their families. Um, China, um, the epicenter of the COVID 19 outbreak, has committed. Two billion dollars to fight the pandemic. Uh, I guess this is kind of a reparation or perhaps a goodwill gesture towards the rest of the world, although two billion dollars uh, is a drop in the bucket when the United States has already spent multiple trillions of dollars uh, in aid to American people aid to hospitals, and aid to states. Um, It says here a sentence, 
this was just something that, you know, when you click trends on Twitter or something, or click COVID updates, I forget what I clicked, but uh, in a virtual address on Monday, Chinese President Xi Jinping, X-I-J-I-N-P-I-N-G, pledged $2 billion to back the fight against the virus. He also expressed his support for an independent investigation into the pandemic by the World Health Organization once the health emergency ends. So I'm sure you can Google China commits $2 billion to fight the pandemic, and you can read more about that. Uh, underneath that, there's the word updates, and it says Moderna's vaccine trial shows promising signs. So that's good news. Um, a couple of days ago, President Trump hired. This is unrelated, but last time I checked, Moderna was an American company. But um, a couple of days ago, unrelated to this Moderna uh, tidbit, uh, President Trump hired the world's top vaccine doctor, and uh, he is overseeing, you know, the... uh, test results and such to narrow down the multiple vaccines that are being worked on into one or maybe maybe there could be two or three um, that work. We don't know. But he, this doctor is uh, world-renowned and he is going to narrow things down for us um, as far as a vaccine for COVID. Uh, the doctor promised one a vaccination by um, by January 2021. Um, I believe they could come up with one sooner. Uh, the military is going to help with the distribution of it. It's not going to be the military putting a gun to your head and saying, get vaccinated. Um, and then... I don't know if I printed it out or not. I was trying to, and it may not have printed. Um, Bill Gates and crew were, Bill Gates is a big time vaccine, vaccination guy. And I'm not an anti-vaxxer by any uh, stretch. You know, when swine flu was all the goo, um, all the rage. Uh, I got vaccinated at work. It, it was, um, I don't know if it was optional. Here's the article. Uh, the FDA halts corona testing backed by Bill Gates. Uh, this is a New York Times article. I will cover it at another time. But um, Bill Gates had the idea of, number one, having the vaccine, but also 
giving you giving everyone who got vaccinated uh, and or tested, I guess, an quote invisible tattoo uh, that would be tra- trackable by the government. Now, when I what I know about tattoos, they are made of ink. Uh, now, sometimes the ink contains metal which if you get an MRI is going to hurt like a son of a bitch uh, I've been told but the uh, uh, well if the ink contains like lead and an MRI uses magnets and uh, yeah that's going to pull the lead out of your skin and hurt anyhow Let's not worry about that. Um, but just let you know, in a coming episode, we'll talk about uh, Bill Gates and his coronavirus uh, vaccination that's been put on hold and his invisible ink traceable tattoo. Um, Rose McGowan, star of uh, the original Scream movie, and multiple movies in the late 90s. Um, And then from there, she went to television. Um, She went to television and was the star of the the television show. Television, television, how many times can I say television? She became a television star on the TV show. <laughs> I've used the word television 14 times in one sentence. Um, <laughs> on a show called Charmed is my point. Um, of course, also on that show is the uh, gorgeous, but uh, no. now on my boycott list, um, Alyssa Milano, along with the beautiful Holly Marie Combs, Uh, How could you not want to watch a show starring those three lovely young ladies? Um, And and, um, (sighs) that stogie tastes good. I was babbling about charm. <laughs> well, in a tweet that's kind of gone viral, um, Rose was one of the founding women of the hashtag MeToo movement. And the movement has since been hijacked by uh, political activists such as Alyssa Milano, uh, Joy Bearhart, Whoopi Goldberg, whoever the hell else is on The View, um, with the exception of Meghan McCain. Uh, Alyssa Milano is not on The View. She has a podcast that I have not been able to listen to because I just don't think I could tolerate what she has to say. Uh, it's so dumb 
for one thing. Secondly, it's so so left wing. I mean, there's no no fair and balance to it. But I mean, it's her podcast. I try to play devil's advocate here sometimes, or at least show some semblance of fairness. But nonetheless, Rose McGowan tweeted this. I used to be a proud Democrat. I used to be a proud American. I would have died for this damn country and its ideals. I was raised to be a proud Democrat. When my youngest brother graduated as a fighter pilot at the Air Force Academy, I wore a Vote John Kerry pin, parentheses LOL, got into a verbal altercation with two big men who were mad I was a Democrat. They were twice my size, and I had to say, and I had to listen to G.W. Bush give the keynote address and John Ashcroft sing his terrible eagle song. That song was terrible. Um, If it would have been sung by someone other than John Ashcroft, it may have been a good song. But John Ashcroft needs to stick to his day job. Anyways, back to the tweet. I lost count of GWB saying terrorism at 47 because that's what cult leaders do and it gets boring. All because I thought democracy meant was I had a right to choose those who lined up with my value system. But what if there is no one? And I was always told uh, it was the Democrat Party. Well, she said it was the Democratic Party that were the good guys. And that our papers were the New York Times and Washington Post. Uh, She actually tagged at NYT and at Washington Post. And... We, at all things considered, and we'd talk about how much we loved Ira Glass, Glass's voice, but now I know too much, and I feel, I feel really quite a sense of loss. It continues... I feel really quite a sense of loss tonight. I am not a cynical person, but America, goddamn, Republicans have always been painted as the bad guys, and I have always seen them as more as a cult. But now I realize <coughs> so are the Democrats and the media, macro and micro. This is deeper than a cover-up, and I am sad because there's death around all corners and shadows in the daytime. It hurts. Uh, This sounds like something is going, 
a tweet by someone who's going through a lot emotionally. And that's uh, very, very um, sad. Um, you know, she started the, like I said, was one of the people that started the hashtag Me Too uh, movement, which was to empower women to um, speak out against their uh, sexual assaulters, uh, speak out against slut shaming, which Rose was a victim of. And I believe she was a victim of Harvey Weinstein, though don't quote me on that. Um, she, she started, you know, this stuff and her Twitter feed is filled with, um, uh, you can check her out at, at Rose McGowan. Uh, McGowan is spelled M-C-G-O-W-A-N at Rose McGowan. And make sure you get the one with the blue check mark because there is a fake account or two out there. Uh, her, her stuff is filled with uh, supportiveness towards Joe Biden's accuser, Tara Reid. And it is also filled with uh, you know, anti-Joe Biden things. I, and I, I think she's had an awakening from the sounds of that message where she now sees that, you know, all political parties kind of blend together. Um, I, frankly, you know, prefer the Republican Party, though I don't always agree with everything. Um, I obviously have a preference to Donald Trump, though I don't always agree with everything he says and does. But at the same exact moment, uh, I can say the Democratic Party does not line up with my values. So you would go and say, you know, it, it would be like me, you know, finding out that Donald Trump was in bed with Hillary Clinton and Russia and all this, you know, that he were, the, you know, trying to tear America down in some way where, uh, you know, the communists can take over or something like that. Um, I don't really care if Rose becomes a Republican or a Democrat or a vegan or a Hegan or a Tegan, a he, I don't care um, what political party you are. But, you know, to see somebody have an awakening and see that uh, the Democratic Party and the media are one establishment together is uh, quite the interesting, you know, thing. Very, very uh, eye-opening. So follow at Rose McGowan on Twitter. Give her some pep talk um, and, you know, encouragement. I think she's a, a good person. And, you know, when she started the, you know, anti-slut-shaming movement, the, ant the Me Too movement, she was trying to do good things. Unfortunately, the Me Too hashtag, whatever you want to call it, has been taken over by extremists with a political agenda to find and destroy any Republican uh you know, even if they have to make something up like the Christina Blasey Ford 
thing or you know the grab them by the coochie Donald Trump misquotes lie so with that we will be right back with my sidekick partner in crime doc to unpack the Obamagate potential scandal Thank you very much for listening. We'll be coming right back. attack with Big John for this segment I'm joined from joined with Doc joined by Doc from the break wall uh, how's it going up your way Big John it's good to be here with everyone it's going great how about you hey man I'm doing good just uh, enjoying some nice weather for a change we <laughs> find uh finally had spring after uh winter came in april and a couple months late and everything there and uh some businesses are starting to open in ohio this week so that's good news um let me tell you a story go ahead so uh some spies of mine uh, emailed me a story at the break wall at outlook.com <clears throat> in uh, a local golf course has a policy that there is only to be now one person per golf cart. <laughs> All right. Now it okay. doesn't, apparently it doesn't matter if you uh, drive in the same car with somebody or live with somebody when you get onto the golf course in an open air situation, there's only to be one person per cart. Okay. So this person uh, that emailed me at the break wall at outlook.com, my spies said that they had a party of three. They went into, they drove together. They went into the clubhouse. The lady said, don't worry about it. You only need to have two. There's not a lot of people out on the course today. They were perfectly prepared to get three carts, but they only got two. About five holes into the round, a ranger comes up to them and says <laughs> someone had taken pictures and had called and complained that there are two people in a cart and not the limit of one. <laughs> now that's where we're at. So it doesn't so it doesn't matter that you drove in the same car in an enclosed vehicle to get to an open air golf course. You got to split off into individual carts. Yeah, that this is um, insanity at, at its almost at its definition. 
maybe not Einstein's definition, but this is like, they've turned this into a nation of tattletales uh, in, in a way with the, these laws. And you're seeing, um, or at least I've heard stories, and there was a viral video of people just going ape shit at a, um, what was it, Red Lobster somewhere? This lady didn't get her lobster in time, and you know the restaurant was trying to limit the capacity, and there was like a three-hour wait for fish sticks or whatever the hell they serve at Red Lobster, and you know this woman's just going off screaming, "I've got my receipt, I want a refund," and she's trying to barge into the restaurant and the staff. The wait staff is trying to act like bouncers to keep her out. Um, well, everyone's in a homeowners association now. That's that's what society has become. You know, yeah. everyone's out with a ruler measuring how long the grass is, what kind of uh, how long the cars have been parked in front of your house, how many cars are parked in front of your house, what color your blinds are. If you live in a homeowners association, people out there listening, you know what I'm talking about. Right. And, uh, we call them condo commandos. Uh, there's been some other words for them over the years, but that's not what we are. And I was on social media sites over the weekend and saw these uh, pictures, random pictures that people were sending to social media sites and to the uh, authorities, apparently, of uh, a bunch of people gathered in a bar. Well, no kidding. The bar's open. And, you know, look, there are some good things that we should, all should be doing. Uh, throughout this, but at the same time, uh, telling people who drove together in a car, you have to be in three different carts on a golf course that's open air is ridiculous. Uh, now, all of a sudden, if you are drinking beer, you have to be seated in the state of Ohio. And if you stand up to stretch your legs while you're <laughs> holding a beer, apparently uh, the owners could get uh, cited and have their liquor license. And look, let me tell you, They've beefed up the Ohio Investigative uh, Unit, which is a statewide yeah. uh, agency. And now they're going to be patrolling more carefully these bars and restaurants. And you know as well as I do, this will go beyond bad actors. These people will start to nitpick because this is what government does. They're looking to set an example. Uh, I don't think they want people out in society to begin with. I went to uh, No Names. I went to a home improvement store over the weekend and showed up and there was one register running and the line was 50 people deep and it wasn't moving and everything was cordoned off into a, uh, a maze of one-way aisles. And I finally said, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm not putting up with this. I left. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so the point here is that they're, they're putting on us uh, – uh, well, they're going to make an example out of some people uh, because and, and it's going to be easy to do because of these complicated and layered regulations. So they're going to be showing up into bars and they're going to find some people after a few drinks who are getting up and walking around and socializing because that's what human beings do. And they're going to cite people and it's and it's going to be onerous. I guarantee it. People are owners are going to owners could do the right thing 100 percent of the time or 99% of the time and screw up that 1% when the fuzz is in the building. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I um, you know, a friend of mine, she, uh, I think her husband's in the business too, but she's um, a photographer. Okay, so she has like one or two people in her business at a time. Uh, and sometimes the photo shoots are outside and whatever. But during the essential, non-essential business thing that was going on, her business was called non-essential, so she could not work. Uh, and that's ridiculous. Uh, and, and that was, you know, I mean, how is taking pictures of somebody where you're going to be more than six feet away from them uh, and all this stuff uh, going to spread the disease. But she posted uh, Governor DeWine's tweet uh, that you are refer kind of referencing and not really, but uh, Governor DeWine tweeted, we are marshalling all the resources at our disposal to assemble a large contingent of law enforcement and health officials from across state agencies and from local communities. We will coordinate with them as part of the Department of Public Safety's Ohio Investigative Unit. They will surge into conduct safety compliance checks in crowded bars and restaurants. So now I was, you know, I, I drive for Uber and Lyft. We all know that. And, you know, this weekend was going to be the big opening of the bars. But, you know, business was probably going to pick up. And from what I've seen and heard in other states that have been reopening, bars are packed and the natives are restless and things are going kind of wild a little in some places, uh, you know, just because people have been pent up and they're not used to being, you know, out socially. They're drinking excessively. And now you're going to throw this excessive police force out there with people that are police officers and non-police officers uh, acting as though they're the police. Uh, this is a recipe for disaster, I think. This is what's going to get people upset and upset quick because you have private business owners that have been under the nail for the better part of two months, not making any money and laying people off and upsetting the apple cart for a lot of people economically. And you have a situation in all reality where it sounds like, uh, based off of the science and the data, that we peaked out in the middle of April on, uh, on, on deaths, mortality rates. It peaked in the middle of April when you add up all of the deaths reported per day. And right. so here we are in the middle of May, and we're still you know, toying around with all this stuff. And not only are businesses taking it, but specifically small businesses are taking it. Whereas a lot of the large businesses have been able to operate in the last uh, six weeks to some degree, the smaller ones uh, have not. And what also hasn't changed is the fact that for most people, this COVID-19 causes mild or moderate symptoms. Fever, cough, usually clears up within two to three weeks. Now, for some people, 
older adults, pre-existing health problems. It can cause more severe illnesses, including pneumonia and death. But the vast majority of people recover. So we're a month past when the death mortality rate uh, spiked on a per-day reporting basis. We're bleeding out this opening up of the state's economy uh, over the course of several weeks based off of what? No one knows. And everything is more complicated than what it should be. Let me give you another example. And all of this is frustrating people. Let's look at daycares, for example. Now, all of a sudden, you can only have nine uh, students, kids, uh, in a daycare class. That's not infants. So we're talking um, uh, toddlers, preschool age, nine. Typically, these classes have between 18 and 22 students in them. So what are you going to do with the other 10 to 12? Well, the state of Ohio has said, amongst all these other regulations and amongst all the regulations that the local communities can erect, uh, you have to, uh, you can divide your room, your classroom in half with a temporary structure that has to be of clean, uh, it has to be of some surface that's able to be sanitized and clean, and it has to be six feet off the ground. And it has to ensure that the kids in this new space have at least 35 square feet of uh, space per kid. So if you take a look at the average, um, and, and keep in mind, daycares are already heavily regulated in the state of Ohio, heavily regulated. Yeah. Uh, yes. So now you're adding in more and more regulations on these people. And so now you've, so, so you've got uh, nine kids on one side of the screen and you've got uh, maybe, you know, if, if it's a class of 18, maybe another nine on the other side. So if you do the math, and you have to have 35 square feet, uh, and there's nine kids, that's 315 square feet. That's half the size of a normal apartment. That's way bigger than a classroom. Uh, yeah. For, um, you know, a, a classroom may be three or 400 square feet uh, for 18 or 20 kids. Uh, and I'm, I'm hypothesizing there, but I, I'm also operating under some experience. So really, you know, this idea that you can, well, you can uh, split the room in half and have, you know, more kids involved. Well, that feet requirement isn't going to allow that to happen because you're not going to have this, the required space or else the Ohio investigative unit is going to show up and shut you down. And what happens if the kids peek over the six foot wall or go around the wall? the temporary structure that you've erected in this room? Are they going to have to quarantine for 14 days? I mean, this is all, this all starts to get ridiculous when you take into the fact that most people, this causes mild or moderate symptoms, fever and cough. They recover. The vast majority of people recover and that we peaked out in mid April in this, at least in the state of Ohio. And it wasn't that serious. And the risk to kids is even less than it is uh, for uh, other sectors. It's, it's almost not, you know, this problem is almost uh, non-existent in the younger populations. So, yeah, yeah you're going to have people in restaurants. You're going to have people in daycares. You're going to have people in home repair uh, places, home improvement places. The businesses are technically open, but the hoops that you are erecting based off of data that has long since been debunked 
and credit to the people who reacted appropriately when we thought this was going to be a lot worse. But now you're operating under a different set of situations and you're making it almost impossible for people to enjoy their liberties and freedoms and their social mobility to do things uh, that they're entitled to do in a free society. Now, that doesn't mean that people's rights are being stripped away and this is the Third Reich or whatever else I'm hearing. But what it does show is, is the inability uh, of the government to um, negotiate themselves out of this problem that they have caused. Yeah, government does not like to give up power once they have it. And, you know, we can say, they can say that they are doing this in, you know, our best interest. And I feel like, and I've supported Governor DeWine and Amy Acton through a lot of this. Yeah, and let me uh, echo let me echo that. I do too. When this came down in March, in February and March, and we were told all of these things, I thought they uh I thought they conducted themselves responsibly and appropriately. Yes, and they uh you know did what was right and you know we now see that the models are off. And they've come up with now new models that say, well, as you reopen, disaster is going to happen. Uh, and so far, that's not happening from what I've seen. Now, I did see an article and I didn't read into it. I just saw a headline that, you know, Texas records its largest day of deaths uh, the same day as they reopen. Now, that's bullshit. If you're if you died, the you day didn't, you didn't die because you reopened. <laughs> yeah, you didn't contract it and die in 24 hours. And, and another know? and another thing on top of that is this idea that well, if we reopen this, more people are going to test positive. Well, number one, you're testing more people, and everyone now uh, knows that this thing has been around for a lot longer than what we all were uh, originally thought. And that a lot of people have already had this thing and have recovered. So when you right. test somebody, you're, you could, you know, it could be somebody who's had it or some, or, you know, admittedly, it could be somebody who currently has it and isn't showing symptoms who could still spread it. And that's an issue. But when you're dealing yeah. with the fact that a majority of the people that get it recover and are under mild symptoms, how bad is it that you find out more people have it? It might actually be a good thing that we're finding out that more people have had this thing or, or do have it because it appears right. in the vast majority of people uh, you recover. Now, on top, right. of, on top of that, let's, let's compare this. You know, in a broadcast here on the panic attack that I was on, uh, one of the, uh, the last one or the one before, we were talking about the unemployment uh, benefits, the, uh, mm -hmm. the checks and the, the, the Trump money and everything coming out. And again, I'm only speaking of Ohio here, but there are roughly now uh, 100 million unemployed people in this uh, or 1 million unemployed people uh, in the state of Ohio. Almost as many unemployment claims have been filed. Uh, now, this is a little bit dated. This is the end of April. So it's a few weeks old, and I'm sure that that number is higher. 
But we all know that there was significant problems in the processing of these claims. The phone numbers were jammed. The websites melted down. There was such a massive increase to the point that the state of Ohio has paid out over a billion dollars towards the claims at the end of April. And we just got the March, uh, or we just got the April unemployment figures about a, a week ago, and it's not good. And we'll get the May unemployment figures in about uh, uh, three weeks. But we know this isn't good. And it was a massive strain on the system. And these were old systems, old, old computer systems, that even if you had enough people to process the claims, the system itself wouldn't have held up. So what's my point? We went from 42 people to almost 1,600 people, according to the Department of Administrative Service, uh, Department of Job and Family Services in Ohio, uh, working in call centers, employees from other program areas to help staff them. Okay, so they, they reached across the aisle, but that was only an extra 1,500 people that they were able to bring in. How many people are to, to deal with a real problem? How many people are they bringing in and how much effort is the state putting in to beefing up this Ohio investigative unit a mere three days after the order was uh, issued for these bars to open up one weekend? And now we're seeing the government basically it almost feels like they're dropping everything to go out and harass bars and taverns because people happen to be standing up and drinking at the same time which was included in the original order from the health director. But that information was news to a lot of people because it wasn't disseminated on the uh, rest responsible restart Ohio website about restaurants and bars in Ohio, uh, a document that was more widely read and understood than the, than the health director's order. So it seems like to me that while we did it, while the JFS situation melted the system down, the JFS situation was, you know, it was a no win there either because of the amount of people that were going to be applying in a very, you know, that was a spike for sure. There was no flattening the curve there. And they, right, and they, right. they did reach in from other areas. But is it the same effort? Is the state putting in the same effort to make sure that people who are entitled to unemployment benefits are getting those benefits than they are issuing administrative citations and possible revocation of liquor licenses through the Ohio investigative unit and local health departments. I contend that they're putting far more concentrated efforts on citing people on issuing tickets than they are issuing unemployment benefits. Yes, I think, uh, well, DeWine was on, uh, what was it? Chris Cuomo's show. Uh, a few nights ago, and Cuomo pushed him uh, on the issue where in Ohio, employers can report employees who uh, refuse to come back to work, and then the employee could have their uh, welfare what is it, unemployment checks cut off because they refuse to return to work once things reopen i know some employers are 
starting to do a limb, a, a soft reopen where, because they have all these new regulations to follow. I'm talking about a, a, a 70 year, 50, I don't know, from the 1950s till now, family restaurant uh, that was, you know, passed from one family to another, but it's always been family owned. And, you know, they're going to open for, you know, a few hours a day and see if they can follow these regulations. And on top of that, they're, they're telling the employees, look, we'll give you the option. You can come back or you can stay on unemployment because we're not going to be open very many hours. So we're not going to need very many employees because they just don't know if they can follow these regulations. And I, for one, am not a fan of these masks. Now, uh, Uber starting today required that all its drivers wear a mask. Um, we have, we're not allowed to have front seat passengers anymore. And we can only have three people sit in the back, back seat. Um, and, you know, that's all well and good. But, you know, there's a difference in me sitting behind the wheel of a car with a mask on and a waitress running her ass off carrying a 20-pound tray of food, uh, maybe more than 20 pounds, and, you know, trying to breathe through a mask. Oh, that's difficult. You know? I did it today in my travels for the first time. And it seems like since this started, I actually had an appointment uh, in public that I had to go to, you know, not including a grocery store or a trip to a home improvement store or, <clears throat> or a liquor store uh, or something like that. I actually... I had to get dressed and look presentable. And so I got my mask. I don't have a problem with wearing masks. It's not a big deal for me. And I don't think it's a big deal in general. But if you don't wear one, you know, hopefully you're social distancing or you're washing your hands. Hopefully you're doing something. Now, if they start citing us because we don't have a mask, I'm going to have a problem with that. Just like they're starting to right. do with these bars and restaurants. Anyhow, the point being, uh, to your point, um, I had to walk uh, a pretty significant distance. and It was a little humid and thick out today, and I had yeah, this mask on. Now, I know you shouldn't have to wear a mask if you're outside walking and there's no one around you, but I didn't want to fool with it, and I wasn't exactly sure where I was going, so I just kept it on. And I'm here to tell you, I lost my breath. Now, I'm relatively in decent shape. Uh, I've put on a few pounds, especially in the last couple of months, because everything's been shut down. But, um, and you know, <laughs> my diet's gone to hell, uh, but like everybody else's. But I'm telling you, I noticed a difference in the ability to breathe and breathe cleanly uh, by wearing this mask. Now, I did it, but I was... Um, getting a little bit nervous here about, uh, you know, breathing. And, uh, so I completely get it. Uh, waitresses or frankly, anybody, um, wearing this thing for an extended period of time, 
I don't care what anyone says, yeah. whether or not you think it works or not. And there's some debate on how effective these things are. If you wear this thing for any period of time, your breathing is going to be obstructed. That's just fact. Right. Well, you know, uh, even, you know, bartenders, if you've ever been in a, you know, somewhat crowded bar on a weekend, you know, there's a lot of people in there. Uh, now, maybe with these regulations, there won't be as many people. But, you know, your bartenders probably aren't accustomed to wearing these masks. And, you know, they do a lot of uh, fast power walking behind that bar, keeping everybody drink happy. Uh, you know, and, and there's going to, I'm telling you, man, you're going to see some waitresses and some bartenders pass out and get hurt. And then who do they sue? Do they sue the state of Ohio? Because, you know, everyone likes a good lawsuit. <laughs> who do they go after? Their employer? Well, the employer was only doing the what the government told them to do. So, you know, what, what are... <clears throat> the reaction of, you know, Dr. Acton and Governor DeWine going to do when somebody gets hurt or, you know, possibly dies from having a damn mask on and their job was too strange. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, but I can clearly, you know, I, mean, I can clearly t attest to having this on and moving around. And I had some difficulty breathing. That's all I can say. I mean, do you need to wear one? In some instances, yes. Where I was at today and where I live at, you should have one on because of the uh, dynamics of uh, the population density and the dynamics of where I live. <laughs> that I, I, need, I should wear this. It just makes practical sense, knowing what we know about this thing. But with that comes, yeah. uh, you know, if you live in the country or whatever, maybe you don't need to have this damn thing on. But you should wash your hands. I mean, come on. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, clearly it was a, it was a it was an impediment to my breathing. And if for somebody that may not be in such great shape, uh, and I saw some people today that were struggling uh, wearing this thing, mm -hmm. um, I, I would be worried about them. And moreover than that, even if you are in good shape, if you're moving around like some of these bartenders do. Like you're saying, absolutely. And, and you won't know that it's hitting you until it's too late. It's like people who pass out, um, you know, they think they can shake it off. But then when it hits, it hits and there's no negotiating it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a dangerous thing. I've seen, you know, stuff, you know, you know, on uh, online, you know, charts and medical graphs and whatever that, you know, the the mask rig restricts your oxygen intake and also your, you know, breathing back in your own carbon dioxide that your body's normally expelling when you exhale. Um, let's go with a break and come back and tackle what we can about Obamagate. So I will see you on the other side of the break here, okay? All right. All right. All right, so 
the latest uh, controversial uh, coming from the heels of the Obama administration into the Trump administration. Uh, we see Michael Flynn has been vindicated. And on Mother's Day night, President Trump put out a tweet called Obamagate. And then a viral hashtag went amok. Now, I've been trying to learn more about this. Uh, and I've, I've read some things, but let me go through what I found when I did a Bing search, B-I-N-G. That's a Microsoft search engine. Uh, so I searched Obamagate. And I get Obama speech at get the Gates Foundation video. I get yeah. Obama speech at the Brandenburg Gate. I did a Google search the next day. I get a Vox article. This is Trump trying to go back to his anti-Washington rhetoric. I get the Atlantic article that this is a catchphrase to direct attention from his handling of the coronavirus or lack thereof. Uh, in the same search, I got videos of Trevor Noah bashing Trump, at PMS NBC bashing Trump. The Guardian had an article or something about uh, an attack on Kaylee McEnany. Then still in the Google search, it comes up the New York Times fake scandal. The New York, the New Yorker magazine called this a niche for Trump super fans. Um, the Hill did an article called Obama tweets vote. And the Hill did another article uh, called Obamagate diversion. Now, I, I want to take you back a year or so when we're talking about search engines and YouTube algorithms and Facebook algorithms. Remember when the uh, CEOs or the higher-ups at Google were caught on tape saying that they were going to have to change the way the search engine operates so that it doesn't help Trump get reelected. I had to go through all of those articles. And I mean, really, that was just a few of them. Everything was anti-Trump, Obama gates a lie by Trump, blah, blah, woof, woof. Finally, I found in the National Review, Obamagate is not a conspiracy theory. Um, I found the New York Post, no, Obamagate is not a conspiracy theory. And then uh, I found a Glenn Beck uh, video slash article that contained uh, some FBI notes and documents that have a lot of black ink on them. But basically out of maybe a hundred, uh, you know, on the first page of search results out of a hundred hits, I got three articles that were trying to lay out the Obamagate 
theory of what Obama did to screw up Trump's first term in office and their plans to get Michael Flynn to lie and all this and everything else was Trump's a liar. This is a conspiracy theory. This is another thing for those deplorable Trump fans to latch on to and all of that. Uh, what kind of information do you have? Because you have secret sources and a different way of finding info than a, a Google search like I did. Let's start to unpack this because the media is not reporting what the Obama administration was up to. Well, they they re, you're well, you're right in recent uh, time. But there, there was a, a period where the media was reporting, um, I think, in, in an unknown random act of journalism, uh, yeah. what, what was happening. But once it became clear that there was no collusion and Mueller wasn't going to get anything and uh, the, the media turned tact. And so what do I mean by that? Uh, we know that... Um, uh, the media reported that the Obama administration w- broke down the intelligence barriers before they left office. Uh, we know, uh, and Mark Levin talked about this in an interview on Fox News that laid out uh, some of the things that the outgoing administration was doing, of which included the uh, ability to share intelligence data across platforms sensitive intelligence data uh, that prior to that was not permitted. And so this was a a strange sort of policy that was announced. I remember when it was announced uh, outside of this discussion that we're having now, thinking to myself, why would they do that? Well, it's clear why they were doing that. Because now remember that. And now let's get back to the point. The point here was that the outgoing Obama administration was looking to set up the Trump administration. Now, does that mean Barack Obama himself? I'm, you know, that's not the point. The point is, is there were actors under that administration's umbrella that were clearly setting up the incoming administration in some way or another. And we know that Brennan and Clapper have all been lying about it on television, but telling the truth behind closed doors, that there was never Russian collusion. They never had any evidence. But then going on TV and to the public in their roles, commentators and saying, in fact, uh, in so many words, there was collusion. And so we know then that the jig is up. And so the jig under the Obama administration was is to set up the Trump administration. And they were spying on uh, um, Klizniak, the uh, Russian ambassador to the United States, They were dipping into his conversations and they found that Michael Flynn, who was the incoming national security uh, advisor, someone that the Obama administration did not like, someone that President Barack Obama himself did not like. And they were very worried about him coming into office as national security advisor, because you have to keep in mind that what else was going on at this time was the Steele dossier spying on uh, George Papadopoulos, uh, spying on KT McFarlane, uh, spying on the Trump campaign in a sense. 
and trying to set up this collusion narrative. And that someone that would then come into the National Intelligence Agency, someone like Flynn, who knew the ins and outs, this guy was a three-star general, uh, well-respected, would be able to sniff out what was going on. Uh, And that was the last thing that these people needed. So in his role as incoming national security advisor, which is rational to be talking to heads of state of foreign countries about policy, because that's the job you're going to have advising the president on these important topics. Um, A bunch of people in the Obama administration saw the transcripts and said, well, who is this Kislyak talking to about these particular issues? Because when you put a a wiretap on somebody, um, if it's an American citizen that they're talking to, that person's identity is protected unless they are unmasked. And so administration officials, and it's not that unusual, can request that people's identities can be unmasked. And that's what they did for Flynn. But the interesting thing here is, is that once all these important people found out within the Obama administration that it was Flynn that was talking to the Russian ambassador, this information got leaked, leaked to the press. And now all of a sudden you have this narrative that Trump won because of Russia's help. And now his national security advisor is colluding with Russians, talking to them, undermining U.S. foreign policy before he even took over. And this set up the whole thing. It set up the whole thing for Flynn to take the fall for a crime that there was no crime committed. Um, and it began the uh, uh, ability, uh, it began the whole Mueller investigation, really, um, through the Steele dossier got the government, which is a uh, a political document that was paid for by the Clinton campaign that got enabled the government to spy on members of the Trump campaign. And the Flynn issue was what was able to begin the impeachment proceedings that resulted from the Steele dossier. So these are the dots you have to connect as you go along. So what Obamagate is, is this whole thing and how much the president knew and when did he know it? And that people in his administration were asking to find out who people were. And so when one agency would find out about something, they could then tell another agency without there being a violation of executive orders or the law or whatever else. And we know that that's exactly what happened. And that's that was their goal before they left office was to be able to allow the holdovers, the people that were staying in these department and agencies to to ferret as much information as possible to each other and not get busted for it. So Obamagate, what it is, it's multiple things all under the phony Russia collusion hoax that was debunked and uh, that Bill Barr and the special prosecutor Durham are now investigating and they're coming up with uh, evidence that People within the Obama administration, Department of Justice, National Intelligence Apparatus were out to get Donald Trump. So the long and shorts of it, and the media is already starting to make fun of this term, as well as, you know, people like you and I and Trump that are using it 
the deep state that we've talked about on previous podcasts and different platforms and whatever was fighting back because here was coming a guy and an, admini- and an administration that weren't going to play their game. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to stray too far off this topic of Obamagate because you're doing a good job of connecting dots. And, it, you know, remember Obama and Clinton talking a lot about we're getting ready for war with Russia, we're getting ready for war with North Korea, uh, and Trump has mended all those relationships and made friends of, well, at least uh, of Kim Jong-un, right, Un? Um, Kim Jong-un. And, you know, they, they didn't like this. You know, the people in the bureaucratic sections of, uh, let's say, the CIA and FBI didn't like that because that was stepping on their toes. That would, if we don't go to war with Russia, why do you need CIA spies running around? Uh, you know, I mean, I guess there's always something to spy on other countries for. That's a game that everybody plays. But, you know, the real threat to the United States, if there's any, would be China uh, and not, you know, North Korea not Russia, uh, but these were the two countries that, you know, the Clintons and the Obamas were really, let's get a war going, let's get a war going. And, uh, you know, I just feel like, you know, there were people within the deep state that, you know, profit from wars. I mean, how long have we been at war in this country? Almost since the end of World War II, you know, a few years went by and we went right into Korea and Vietnam. And then, you know, the 80s, we had a few skirmishes here and there. But, you know, then in the 90, you know, we got into Iraq and were the world policemen. Then we got into Iraq really big when Bush was in office. And, you know, I think this all revolves around a deep state that, profits from war um and and frankly you know there are people that just hate donald trump period well that's 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 the point they're so obsessed with you know donald trump is an asshole that they can't see past the ends of their noses to say you know what let's just let it go and if he ruins himself and his own presidency through his brashness or his tweets or he does do something illegal because he's not familiar with the system uh, and how to be president, and how to be a politician. Then we'll get him. Well, but- and don't and don't forget to your point. Trump was making comments about how uh, he didn't need the national security briefing every day. He didn't need to talk to these people, and these are career people who pride themselves on access and connections in the ability to say that they're important uh, right. to their friends and to the media, to their sources in the media that they leak information to. And also don't forget in the presidential primary debates, Donald Trump made the statement that he would try to be friends with Russia, with uh, Vladimir Putin. 
Yeah. Well, those two things set off the deep state to say, we got to stop this guy. And they elicited their friends in the FBI, which is why Obama tore down all the regulations that were in place um, to, to, to allow uh, for uh, the sharing of sensitive intelligence data across platforms. It was Trump saying that he would be friends with Putin because he didn't want a war with him. And somebody somewhere wanted, wanted a war. Now, whether or not it's to, for the establishment, the deep state, the military industrial complex, that's probably a conversation in detail for another day. But clearly, uh, somebody somewhere, some group wanted there to be some sort of uh, uh, narrative play out that Trump wasn't going to play out to some degree. And on top of that, he said he didn't need to talk to him. Well, you start shutting out the national intelligence people and say that they're not needed. And there's no requirement that Trump has to have conversations with these people. Um, you, this is, this is the, the Obama, we're now getting into Obamagate. We're getting into what happened under Obama's presidency, where he says there's not a smidgen of scandal uh-uh. We can go down the list of a lot of other things, uh, targeting Tea Party groups, running guns to narco terrorists from Mexico. Um, there's a few things you could get into. Uh, Solyndra, uh, uh, soliciting, uh, you know, favorable uh, government loans to companies that were about to go bankrupt uh, because they were alternative energy companies. Right. Uh, there's a whole list of things that we could get into. But uh, this this was Obamagate. This was a scandal where whether or not he knew about it or approved it, it doesn't matter. It it does to a degree, uh, uh, you know, especially with, you know, how much he knew and when he knew it. But really, it's the people that were working for him that got their cues from somebody and somewhere to take Trump out. And they were all banking on Hillary to win. Now, why were they doing it? self-preservation, self-promotion, you know, all of these people acting uh, because they wanted to promote their own careers and knew that they could defend the department, defend the agency and get Hillary in and not Trump who would come in and, and destroy the whole uh, operation for them. Yeah. Right. This, you know, all goes back to, you know, what you and I have been saying for a while. Um, There are people that, their livelihood is being part of the federal government. They have their jobs and they may have um, a role in a company that deals with, you know, military uh, hardware or they, you know, or just power hungry people and want to keep their access to, the White House, and, you know, if you're leaking information to the media, uh, probably somebody in the media is giving you a kickback or a cut for your information. Um, You know, why would you risk, uh, you know, getting in trouble for being a leaker if you weren't getting something in return? Or it just could be uh, inside the Beltway uh, power trips, power-hungry people that Washington is known for. I mean, that's why it's called the swamp. 
Now, um, I don't know if you, I'm sure you have, uh, followed, you know, Trump said that the first person he wants the Senate or the House to interview uh, under whatever investigation they go into would be Barack Obama. Uh, I don't know if that's a good idea. It sounds good in a tweet and it sounds, you know, tough talk and blah, blah, blah. But Trey Gowdy brought up a good point. There's uh, still a lot of information we do not know. And we being Congress, the president, uh, the Senate, you know, the people that would be conducting the hearings and the investigation. Uh, Trey said, you know, we need to get a lot more information declassified first and look at a lot more of this documentation before we go holding hearings and certainly before we go bringing Barack Obama to the, uh, the witness stand, if you will, of you know, a congressional or Senate hearing. Uh, your thoughts on who should be the first witness called or how they should go about investigating this? I'm interested to hear. Well, I'll say this, you know, the the big fish would be Obama or Biden or Comey or some of those. And uh, when you're dealing with investigations, you don't start at the top and work your way down. Uh, right. I think I think a proper investigation would be is what they're doing right now, which is trying to find out some of the underlings that they can pin uh, inappropriate uh, actions on and then kind of work your way up to the top. And I, I say that not to say that I uh, am saying that Obama did anything personally here. I'm just saying that that's how investigations typically work. Um, you got your big fish out there that you're going to fry, but you got to, you know, uh, you got to get the dill, <laughs> the dill sauce in the, <laughs> in the butter before you get to fry the fish. And we'll see what happens. Uh, so, um, you, you know, as I see it, there's probably enough folks in DOJ, FBI, National Security Agency that uh, they could talk to uh, to pressure uh, into, um, you know, revealing what it is that they know through um, uh, immunity deals and whatnot uh, that might work the way up the list. But. Uh, I, you know, the idea that you're ever going to, you know, to be realistic, I mean, these things are so uh, layered, uh, the idea that you're going to see anything against Obama or Biden or Comey or Strzok or Stroke or McCabe, uh, Page, I mean, I, the, I think those, I think that is going to be wishful thinking. But what you could see is just evidence of massive wrongdoing. Uh, that, uh, you know, you can produce, you can produce that evidence uh, and have it, have those people be guilty in the court of public opinion. To get them guilty in a courtroom requires a whole another set of circumstances. And maybe some of that data is out there, that evidence is out there. But you could certainly, in the court of public opinion, where it doesn't take a whole high uh, amount of standard to 
convict somebody, uh, present something that would show that what in fact was going on, which is what I believe was going on, was a culture of corruption uh, right. within the bureaucratic state. Uh, to the degree that anyone knew about anything, we don't know, but certainly McCabe and uh, Struck and Stroke and uh, Page were all sort of a part of this to a degree as well. Yeah, you know, I think uh, when, like you said, when you're doing an investigation, you know, an old police chief friend of mine said, you know, he don't want the little guy that sells a nickel bag or a dime bag of weed. He wants to throw that guy back into the water so that that little fish can get him information on the big fish. And you get these little fish coming in and say, okay, look, I can put you away for, you know, 30 days or a year or whatever. But if you give me what you know on the next guy up the chain, then I can go after that guy and I'll let you slide. And then, you know, you, you keep going up until you get all the pieces together. And then you go after the whole, the whole enchilada, thing, right? you know. Yeah. So, yeah, starting small is the way to go with this. And if you find nothing but a bunch of power hungry bureaucrats that were corrupt and whatnot, uh, then, you know, that's good. That drains the swamp, too. So it doesn't always have to be, you know, we're going to put Hillary in prison or Obama in prison. Maybe that in some wacky way could happen. But I think, you know, Obama and the Clintons are too smart for that. They're going to have fall guys and fall girls below them uh, that they can push the heat off on. So uh, to say we got to put Obama on the stand first thing uh, sounds good, but it's not the way to go. And it probably will never happen. And And if any reason... It'll be because the media won't let it happen, uh, you know, absent tremendous smoking gun, which are which is information that's tough to procure, especially when, you know, sig- when, when these uh, and it doesn't matter, Republican or Democrat, uh, you know, signals are sent. There's there's never a direct communication. It's signals. You know, uh, one of the things right. that Obama was good at doing was going to a friendly media outlet and giving an interview and saying things like uh, the Cambridge cops acted stupidly. Well, right. You know, there's a signal for somebody somewhere to do something. Um, Or when Obama said in interviewing about Hillary Clinton, that he didn't think she did anything wrong. Well, now when the president says something like that, and, and he said that she didn't do anything wrong or intentional, when she deleted all those emails or had the email mm-hmm. server of which he lied about knowing about, by the way, but we don't talk about that. When Obama makes that statement public, nobody in the justice department is going to do anything to contradict that. The president has spoken and a lot of people, it escapes them uh, because they don't think about it. That uh, in that instance, and again, it happens all the time. Um, the, the, the jury was tainted. The process was tainted. Obama should have just right. kept his mouth shut. He shouldn't have said a damn thing 
knowing that there could be a potential investigation. Some could argue that that could be obstruction of justice. Right. You know, it very well could be, Uh, you know, to say that, you know, deleting emails, whether they were, you know, uh, involving some, you know, government operation or whether it was a Jeffrey Epstein that didn't kill himself uh, scenario where she had emails about, you know, pedophilia and uh, pedophile Island or orgy Island. I've heard it called, you know, um, who knows what was in those emails. Maybe someday we'll find that server. Maybe it's in Ukraine and, you know, it's going to be fun. It's going to be, it's not going to be fun. It's going to be terrible, but it's going to be interesting uh, to see how this plays out and how this affects the presidential election. And we got to do a podcast on that too. I, uh, I hear some rumblings that maybe Joe Biden won't be the candidate. I don't see how that's possible. That's another, another podcast. Yeah, that's another two or three hours itself. So uh, with that, uh, final word, and then I'll wrap it up. Well, it was a good conversation. Uh, Again, you know, feel free to tune in to the break wall to hear. uh, It's a gathering place of news analysis and commentary. Uh, Then I'm happy to join over here when I can at the panic attack. Um, So just a little bit of self-promotion there. Uh, So uh, that's it. I think we covered it. All right. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, we got to pray for this country, uh, pray we get through this COVID virus thing without uh, too much uh, suicide and depression and things of that nature. Considering this is mental health health month, uh, I know there's probably a lot of people panicking. Uh, and the reason this show I call my podcast The Panic Attack was I used to have a severe panic disorder and Frankly, you know, this, I've been able to work through this whole pandemic, but uh, a lot of people haven't. And a lot of people are panicking. A lot of people are worried right now. And so we got to pray that they get through it and uh, always pray for America and our leaders. Thanks for joining me. And we'll see you next time, bud.